0: This is Hal Hester, lead pastor of Vine Life, and this is our podcast, The Empowered Word. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on what God is doing in your life. Please enjoy the message. All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I don't know. It sounds kind of weak, you know. (laughs) It's like Christmas or something, you know. Come on. Anyhow. Good morning, glad to see you this morning. Uh, I hope that uh, you are having a good morning so far. Uh, Looking forward to all the day's festivities. I hope you have lots of festivities ahead of you today. Hey, before we get into the message, uh, just a couple of things I want to share with you. One, if this is your first time here, there are some cards in front of you that say connect across the top. Would love for you to take a moment, fill one of those out, and you can do one of two things with that. You could either A, you could drop it in one of the... little black boxes by the door just make that your offering this morning be glad for you to do that and then the other opportunity would be for you to head out with that to the tent and give us a chance to say hello and they have a gift for you and would just like to tell you thank you for having been our guest this morning so if you have an opportunity to do that please do that Uh, also on there if you just like some more information about things that are going on here at vine life you can go ahead and give us a functional, that, that's an actual working email address, not the one that you'd give to everybody to throw away. We don't, we don't need to just add stuff uh, to the list. Uh, but if you would really like the email, please fill that out. Check the little box underneath that says that you would like to get the newsletter. We'll make sure you get that. Then tonight, 4 o'clock, carols, candles, and cocoa. So uh, we will have snow for the kids. Florida snow, obviously, but you know we'll have some snow for the kids at the end. Uh, we have cocoa, and if you prefer, if you're a little more exotic taste, we have some chai for you. so uh, I hope that you will join us as we celebrate the birth of Messiah. All right. Well welcome to the fourth Sunday in Advent. If you're not familiar with the term Advent, it just simply means the first coming in reference to Jesus born to the Virgin Mary. We do expect a second coming at the glorious close of the age when a full and final revelation of God's kingdom is made manifest. And at that time, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Messiah, Lord of all. But in the interim, we have looked at week one. We talked about Mary and her response to the announcement the angel gave to her that she was chosen. Week two, we focused in on Joseph and his response uh, as he found out that Mary was pregnant with child, and then uh, how he handled things in, in terms of the angel coming to him in a dream. Uh, week three, last week we looked at the shepherds tending their flocks by night, and how God used them not only to make a, a, just a beautiful witness of the birth of Christ, but also specifically in how, he encouraged, uh, how they encouraged Mary and Joseph. And then today week four we're looking at two prophets simeon and anna who were both present at jesus dedication at the temple on his eighth day uh which i'm really looking forward to sharing with you today uh you know often uh this particular message in the uh, series you know in as you're talking about the the as you're talking about getting ready for christmas uh often gets no attention whatsoever it's the only one that doesn't include the angel gabriel part of it, Uh, but instead, here's the thing, is that we're looking at two older saints that God uses, not only to give these parents uh, prophetic words, you know, but also there's kind of an interesting caveat here about who they are in history and so forth, that we don't get a lot of information about them except from church history, but basically we're talking about two very ordinary people trying to obey God and God using them in a really powerful way so with that said we're going to get right into Luke chapter 2 this morning Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 22 if you're using a phone or tablet please set that silent for the sake of those around you I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version but please follow along in whatever translation you have because the one in your lap always my favorite the one you're reading let's take a look Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 22 when we read these words and when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what had been said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that, it is, that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks to God and speak to Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. Well, like I said, it's not a text that we tend to spend a lot of time on. Usually it's one of those speed bump texts, you know, where people are just kind of reading on to the next event, right? They're getting on to the big event, and, and as I've said over and over again, it's really important when you're looking at the Bible in all of its context and, and holding together a holistic picture of the Bible, that oftentimes it's those segues, those transitional passages that hold for some of the greatest information uh, that keep everything together, that, that bring all the pieces together so that you get a complete picture and so that habit that most of us have in the way we read is we just kind of skip the segue material, you know, as though it's not really important, and move on to the big story, the most important things, right? And and oftentimes that's how people read, not just in the Bible, but in general. Uh, and so not you know scorning or scolding, but just saying it's a it's a habit that people have, and it's actually like negatively impacts reading comprehension. So just in terms of just You know, kind of a a real simple tool as you're reading through your Bible or reading in general. I would always encourage you to slow down through those segues because oftentimes some of the most, you know, wonderful nuggets of truth lie in those transitional passages. So here uh, we're talking about uh, a, a very neglected passage. Now, part of it is because of the prophetic nature of the text. Um, that we're that people just aren't sure exactly what to do with it, um, you know. Uh, uh, one of the tendencies in evangelical circles when it comes to prophecy, if it's if it's not having to do with end times, if it's not something that's prophesied about something forthcoming, uh, it tends to get skipped altogether. Uh, also true in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, uh, except that there's this caveat that oftentimes a prophecy that is more personal in nature uh, becomes kind of a template for me to give you a thus saith the Lord which you know isn't always actually the Lord Um, but here's the thing is that uh, you know here uh, there is a uh, something very specific being told to us but also more importantly something that's being said to Mary and Joseph in this moment that you and I need to learn from but i think it's part of the reason why the apostle paul tells us at the end of first thessalonians to not despise prophecy right he's referring to that personal kind of prophecy instead he says test everything and avoid any appearance of evil so actually next time somebody quotes that text to you avoid all appearances of evil remind them that that actually has to do with prophecy has nothing to do with conduct That's a misuse. Uh, That's lifting the text from its context. Uh, Actually, it's about valuing prophecy and then weighing it out so that it's not manipulative to others. That's the avoiding evil part that it's actually talking about. Now, in this case, it fits classic New Testament personal prophecy, and that is, is that something is being spoken that has already been spoken before. One of the things that you will see as you look through the prophets, as you go through uh, the First Testament, through what we commonly call the Old Testament, is that the prophets are not usually saying anything new. There's very little of the prophets that is anything new. Actually, the primary thing the prophets do as they quote the first five books, what we commonly call the Torah or the Pentateuch, Almost all of what they say is them just quoting that and reminding the people what the law, what the word of the Lord says, and they're trying to get the people to come back to that. So when you get to the New Testament, what have we got? You've got the prophets quoting the first five books, and the most commonly quoted book, of course, in all of the New Testament is actually the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law and so there's this building, precept upon precept, principle upon principle, line upon line, that is meant to give you a sense of clarity and direction so that everything you get in the New Testament actually comes from those first five books. It's not something new. We're not learning something different about the character of God. We're actually building on who the Bible actually says who God actually is, what His character is like. And so everything that we know about God in the New Testament, about Him being merciful, kind, loving, forgiving, and all kinds of stuff, is not new in the New Testament. It's not like God became a Christian and changed His mind. You know, It's that they're building on the original story is that God is that merciful God, that He is the enduring love, that He is forgiving, that He is kind and merciful. So all those things very important the way this works so classic prophecy classic personal prophecy especially affirming the word of god not saying something new that's always one of your first like red flags if someone's got a prophecy and it's something new that's your first red flag second thing then is that this in personal prophecy not only is it affirming the word of god but it's affirming the person who is trying to trust and obey. So, in other words, they're in this moment, uh, and one of the things you do notice about New Testament prophecy is it's rarely corrective. That's why Paul writes letters. Paul writes letters to do correction, right? You've probably seen the meme maybe on Facebook or something, if the American church, you know, if Paul was alive today, we'd be getting a letter. You ever seen that? Yeah, kind of cute. Scary, true. But um, the primary thing is that the letters are written corrective, but prophecy in the New Testament is primarily that of affirmation. Primarily it's repeating the word, and then it's encouraging the person to carry on, to trust and obey. So in this case, like just what Simeon says to them, it just fits that model so classically. In this example, Mary and Joseph are walking a hard road of obedience, right? I mean, just think in terms of all that's along this road for them uh, as they are walking this out. We pointed out uh, week one, Mary says yes as a young woman not having really much of a, a clear understanding of all that was going to unfold before her. Uh, but she said yes because she wanted to be obedient to God. We see that in her yes, there's this attitude with her in terms of her relationship with God, and even the things that she speaks in her song, uh, beautiful testament that just follows uh, you know, perfectly along with the Sermon on the Mount. Everything she declares about who God is, what He's going to do, fits beautifully with the Sermon on the Mount, and so we can see why God would trust her, but we also understand that She's a young woman, and she hasn't had a lot of life experience at this point. And she's saying yes to also being scorned. She's being saying yes to being viewed as something less than moral. Uh, People are doubting when she says that she's a virgin, right? I mean, you know, and then Joseph. Does this? You know, he gets the message that, that not to put her away, uh, but we look at Joseph, and Joseph has decided to uh, take the hit uh, personally, and stands up and says, this is my child, I'm taking uh, this child, into, I'm taking her and everybody into my home, into my life, and so now they're despised and rejected. Sometimes following God is really difficult. Sometimes following God, I, actually I would point out to you that if you just look at the testimony of Scripture, that almost always, with very few exceptions, following Christ is hard. When people call it the cr- crutch of religion, I'm just like, you, you clearly have no idea what you're talking about. You're, 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 you're speaking from an outsider's perspective. You've never walked this life. Following God is hard especially because oftentimes it puts you in places where you would not put yourself anyone want to testify hmm yeah and so here they are uh, on this hard road of ob- obedience uh, and so all along this road what we've you and I've watched over the last few weeks is that how uh, there's these bracelets these tokens of grace that affirmed to them all along their way, all along this hard road of obedience, you really did hear God. And if you'll recall, last week I I made the point that when it comes to listening to the voice of God, Like the greater the sense of revelation, the harder the task. So uh, in our everyday life, uh, we rely on the word of God. Maybe we get uh, some words of encouragement from somebody else to stick on the road. And then as we just kind of move along the road of difficulty, we move towards those things. The greater sense of revelation, the more things that God does to intervene, to affirm us, so that we don't get off that road, all the way down to the audible voice of God. Like that's the highest level of difficulty, hardship, and because you're going to need it. If God speaks to you personally, buckle up. OK? And so in this moment, we're like watching this kind of unfold. And, and so here we are. God sends them an angel to speak to each of them. Mary's affirmed by a word of knowledge from Elizabeth and the baby leaping within her womb and she speaks and blesses her and then she shares with us what God is storing up in her heart and then uh, last week we have the shepherds who are out in their field by night and they come in and then they come in sharing and bearing this testimony about what God has done and they're declaring it. They wake up the whole town, you know, cause a ruckus and everything and all of us, it says Mary is storing these things up. She's treasuring them in her heart Getting ready for yet the most difficult part of the road, which is yet to come. If you think carrying a child and having people question your purity, question your walk with God and everything else might be difficult, can I tell you what's about to come? The journey to Egypt, the raising Him in quiet, so that he is not murdered along the way. And then ultimately, giving him to the world and seeing him crucified. I think she's got quite a journey. How about you? So the Lord gives her two more confirmations. We're eight days later. I mean, there's been, there's been all these beautiful confirmations, it's, it, it's, it's the most encouraging thing because the toughest part is yet to come. One from Simeon, very clearly a personal prophecy at its best, and then the second, a more public prophetic kind of word being spoken that follows that model of public prophecy. But, and then tonight, I'm, I'm going to be sharing you know, about God sending encouragement through the Magi and, and what God was doing there, but that's for tonight. But here we are, and Simeon is described to us first as a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Not a bad description. What a great epitaph. Not unlike the description of Joseph. One of the things that stands out is that Simeon is not a professional prophet. He's simply an older saint who had received a promise from the Holy Spirit that he would not depart this life until he laid eyes on the Messiah. Simeon's just following the leading of the Holy Spirit in that moment. He arrives on the scene. He feels prompted to come and to share. Uh, I don't know how much he knew, but we know that even from church history, uh, the sense of expectation as he arrives on the scene, and he gives this uh, young couple a spirit-led word of of affirmation, and he quotes right from Isaiah 52.10, and he tells them, listen, my watch is about to be over now. I can depart this life in peace because what the Lord has promised me I have seen with my eyes. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. Now, when we read that text here in the 21st century, you and I tend to think of the reader as the first audience. We go, oh, look there, isn't that great? He's quoting from Isaiah, you know, and that just tells us as believers that we can believe that he's the Messiah, you know, this prophet walks up and prophesies and everything. But I want you to remember how it happened is that it's, this isn't a very personal conversation. What you and I are doing now is we're eavesdropping, right? Luke interviewed Mary and others. He says by, 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 by his own statement, he said he, that he was a historian and that he interviewed people and that they were first-hand accounts. And so this is him finding out later on and sharing that with you and I. But when it was first spoken, it wasn't spoken for the sake of posterity or for telling you. It was for telling her what she needed most in that moment. To know that he was not only a gift of the Holy Spirit, but that he was indeed the Messiah, the hope and the salvation of Israel. Now, as he says that, keep in mind that like every first time parent is blown away when people dote over their child. You know? I, in fact, I actually, I don't think it gets old. But, but when, you're facing, when you're facing what they're facing and someone comes up and confirms to you the calling of that child and the rough road you have ahead of you Look, it's, it's that sense of like, I know that I know that I know that I heard God. That's why God does stuff like that. But then listen to the three parts of his message. He tells them, first of all, that Jesus is for the salvation of all. He's, he's quoting from Isaiah, right? It should have been something that people should have known all along, that the Messiah was for the salvation of all. But in case you missed it, he then like builds on that and he follows through the points of Isaiah and he tells us as revelation for the Gentiles. Now, it was commonly accepted that he was revelation for the Gentiles. He was going to reveal himself as he came down and put the smack down on them, right, is what they were thinking, you know, in terms of what they were thinking about Messiah and that political expectation, And for the glory of Israel. People got that part. Yeah, you know, in fact, when the Gentiles get the smackdown, it's going to look really good for us, and we're going to be vindicated. But it's built on that first premise. The salvation for all. You see, because everyone, everyone needs Jesus. Jew and Gentile alike. We all need salvation. We all need rescue. There's not two covenants of salvation, just one. And only through Jesus, Acts 4 says, for there is no other name under heaven by which we, we might be saved. Only the name of Jesus. Now, every good Jew knew that Messiah was for the glory of Israel. No surprise there. But that Messiah would be revelation for the Gentiles, specifically leading to salvation, that part was new. That they would be included that's a direct quote from the hebrew bible how did it get missed how was it that people were reading these accounts of messiah in the old testament specifically uh, thinking of all the times in which isaiah is quoted specifically in the New Testament and referencing the understanding that had come all the way from and, and their time in Babylon and the Babylonian captivity about Messiah, just so much building line upon line, precept upon precept and all of this, and yet somehow that part got missed. I don't know about you, but one of the things I have to think to myself as a Christian Christian, Looking back over those things, I have to ask myself the question, why? Why did it get missed? And you know, the, first and foremost, the, the biggest part of it is simply this, bias. Bias. It's one of the things that you and I have to be very careful of as we're reading our Bibles that we don't simply just read into what we want, that we don't just simply read into what is convenient, or that we don't personalize God in such a way. See, see He's our personal Savior. It's very personal. Please take it personal. But as you grab hold of prophecy, be hesitant to make it so personal that it justifies your own ends, means, thinking, or even how you view other people as enemies or anything else. Bias, it can be very destructive to us. With that bias came all kinds of social political baggage, right? Uh, Regardless of what you blame, racism, nationalism, bigotry, it all comes down to assuming the best about ourselves, our motives, our behaviors while assuming the worst of our enemies. Not good. Not good. But if you don't read your bible like that, and I know none of you do, but I mean, you know, other people at other churches, but but the good news is is that Here's the thing is that Messiah came as Savior for all the people and that uh, this, this promise that's being given to her in that moment is telling her, listen, it, it, it's laying a foundation for her so that as she moves through these events of life, as she's dealing with all of these things and confident of who He is, That as the message unfolds and as he's preaching the gospel, as he's proclaiming these things and the Gentiles begin to come in, that those things she's stored up in her heart, she's treasured up in her heart begin to unfold and she starts to understand just who her son is and what the message is that he's brought. Because even she did not fully understand. And then we come to that last part of what Simeon says specifically to her it kind of gives the indication that he like turns his attention from speaking blessing and prophetic you know words over the two of them to turning to her to say something very specific to her i don't know if the lord revealed to him that joseph wasn't going to be there once he began his public ministry or what but he the lord turns his attention to her and he says this And behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's a little ominous, isn't it? Can you imagine being a young mom and getting that word about your kid (laughs) you know we do baby dedications up here and sometimes even as i'm praying over a kid and i just feel sometimes like i'm like giving a big kind of a heavy word to that parent about raising that child especially when they name them really awesome things and i go oh man you know did you know what you signed up for but you know um uh, here's this moment in which she is like brought her child to be dedicated And she gets this really ominous word the hindsight of history tells us that it was a good word in so many ways but how ominous to receive it in that first moment and with all the expectations around messiah that occupied the hearts and the minds of the people in israel here through the lens of history you and i can point to the fall of the temple elite and to every political force that rallied against Jesus, that railed on him. The whole entire dynasty of Herod would fall because of its challenge to Jesus. Be, the Hasmodean dynasty had been around for centuries. Going back to the, you know, to, the, uh, to the time of the Babylonian captivity, suddenly it comes to an end. What about the Caesars? You know, here at the apex of Rome's history and everything else, the events that will unfold as Christianity begins this incredible wildfire spark that goes through Rome and within a couple of hundred years, without ever firing a shot, like Rome is decimated and the kingdom of Christ still stands and is here even today. In fact, if you and I look through the scope of history, not only are we talking about the rising and falling of many in Israel, the the different kings and things like that 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 stood against Jesus in His day, but Messiah has defeated every kingdom that had set itself up against the knowledge of God. Just in my lifetime, the fall of the mighty Soviet Union. Remember when we would like, as a kid, I can remember being taught to things like duck and cover and all kinds of... Completely worthless, but but nonetheless, I mean, well, there was this constant like message, right, of of the great fear of this atheist kingdom that was the threat to Christianity and and to freedom in the world. How's that looking through the lens of history now? What about Mao's great leap forward that sought to end Christianity in favor of atheism? How's that working for the Maoists now, sixty two years later? There's no place on earth where the church is growing faster than in atheist China. Jesus has been the rise and fall of many, not just in Israel but throughout history. And so Simeon's prophecy not only rang true then and gave her a sense of comfort, uh, would help her stand in the face of, of the trial and the difficulty that was about to come to her, but it rings true to you and I today as we sit from the perspective of 2000 plus years later and see that it really has been true. But for Mary and Joseph that day, but especially Mary, who watched his publicly, public ministry unfold, I assure you that it was significant in helping them navigate the turbulence of chasing after God and the whirlwind of chaos that she was faced with and, and the whirlwind of life. And you know, like, One of the things that you and I should get from all of this is that that the heart of God for His people, when you are hard in pursuit of doing what God has called you to do when he calls you to a moment of obedience and you're looking at the turmoil and you're thinking to yourself how will I navigate through all of this turmoil and you're thinking to yourself maybe you've heard from pop theology somewhere that well if you follow God everything's supposed to just fall in place and get easy or whatever else and that's not the witness of the scripture the witness of the scripture again and again for God's most favored people for the people most called is that these glorious visions come and all. Of these things to prepare them so they can stand against the onslaught of chaos and pain and difficulty. See, God works in the midst of all of that. He is not the God who stands on the outside of suffering and goes, Wow, that, boy, that looks rough. Guess you should have prayed more. What a condescending view of God that we would embrace such a thought that. If you just don't pray enough, if you don't do enough, isn't that right back to the kind of same works theology that we've been decrying for, for literally for 500 years, right? There's this, been this battle, a little thing we called the Reformation in which we've been telling people that, you do, that it doesn't work like that, that it's all by grace. We don't, you know, we don't get saved. We don't have the mercies of God because you're good. We get those things because God is good. It's not because you earned them. It's in spite of the fact of what you earned. And so the idea that somehow that you just need to pray more and do and be more spiritual. And order, No, listen, for all of God's favorites, right? As you look through the witness of Scripture all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation and you watch and they go through the hard times like everybody else. When they were in the land of Egypt And the plagues came. If you'll read carefully, you'll realize they didn't miss a plague except the death of the firstborn, and that was because of the blood of the lamb over the lentil posts. Otherwise, they suffered every single calamity that everybody else in the land suffered. You begin to realize that He's the God who comes into the midst of our storms. He's not the God who stands on the outside and says, let's go away to some magic place later on. He's the God who came into the midst of our pain and suffering, who for the joy set before Him endured this cross, its shame, its scorn. You are the joy set before Him. And so He comes as the God who identifies with our pain, that He knows our pain and identifies them and has suffered all things that we have suffered, yet was without sin. He comes into the midst of that. That's the God we're talking about. We're talking about the God who speaks into the midst of your pain, your difficulty, your striving. You know is joyous as this season is supposed to be, right? We're in the middle of Advent and everything, and yet here's what I know, is that I know a number of you, just like me, have had pain and trial and difficulty, even in the midst of when you're supposed to be having this good time, right? And there's this mythology out there that everybody else is having a better time than you. And I want to say to you in the midst of it, like I can't think of anything that's more representative of Christmas than in the midst of your pain is this thing of joy, of the celebration that the Messiah is coming in and that He wants to be with you, to comfort you, not remove you from every challenge and difficulty, but that He comes alongside of you, that His Word's there to speak comfort to you in the midst of that, to give you strength, and that you become this, you you are changed, you are transformed through that process. And that what makes you the light of the world is when you live differently, not in the exception, but in the midst of everyday life that's full of pain and hardship and difficulty and trial, and that the God who is good is good in the midst of that. That, that my friends, that's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Advent, that He's come to give us life in the middle of all of it. Could I help you to notice also all throughout, as we've gone through week after week, that it's not the priests, the prophets, and the kings who rear Jesus, who announce his arrival, or who get the announcement. <laughs> Except for Anna, and even Anna, she's extraordinary for a different reason, but it's all ordinary people up to this point. I hope that sinks into your heart that that God uses anyone who is available. And if you're unavailable, regardless of your life station, then God won't use you. You have to be available. And so maybe that's the question to you in this whole series for your own personal reflection is am I available could can God use me? Or of are there limits to where I will allow God in my life? Limits to the, what I will allow Him to do because I'm afraid of pain and suffering, trial, hardship, difficulty. And might I remind you that everybody has those moments in life. But how much more powerful might they be if they were in His service rather than just... Your consequences. Well, that brings us to Anna. Anna gets very few lines. We know very little about her, except from, you know, uh, church history. But what we do know in those couple of lines is kind of show stopping. She defies every expectation. Number one, she's a widow in the ancient Near East. Now, if you're a widow in the ancient Near East, most what happened to widows is that they Early, you know they had to quickly get married to somebody else, and oftentimes were very mistreated. Uh, a lot of widows suffered greatly, we know through the uh, lens of history uh, in the ancient Near East in particular, uh, but all throughout the ancient world, widows often like found themselves in grave situations. they had a family, they had all these things that they had to deal with, and that they were now considered like kind of damaged goods or whatever, uh, sometimes even looked at well, if their husband died, maybe you know the like the black widow kind of you know fear and, and things like that, uh, and so oftentimes these women. Uh, found themselves being passed from man to man, just kind of surviving. That was normative in the ancient Near East. So she defies that, and that she does not remarry, doesn't instead, she dedicates herself to the service of God. I, you know, it's just fascinating in that. And then, not as a seamstress or something socially acceptable for women to do. She's a prophet. She is a prophet. She's at the temple and she prophesied publicly before men and women. So don't let that get your shorts in a wad. But uh, And she not only does, she in publicly instructing and she's given this special place in history, not just in, in the, the the general history but here in the Bible is one who God used to give assurance to Mary and Joseph now her role's a little different instead of coming up and giving them a personal kind of prophetic word she's declaring before everybody right she is making this huge announcement about what God is doing and everyone who's in within earshot is hearing about that Messiah has been born that the hope of the nation is before them and so here is like the she just defies everything. You know, one of the things I find interesting is how God does things to, uh, especially through Messiah, to just overturn religious expectations. In Jesus' day, our day, Pharisees and Sadducees alike are, are so busy telling everyone what God thinks, that they're not listening to the prophets. Can I just point out to you what a theme that is through the entire Old Testament? Like over and over again, when we're watching the abysmal failure of the kings, when we're watching that period of time where it, it, it seems, if you, if you miss the segues, it seems like it was just, you know, God said this and then all of a sudden he was punishing them and, and then you read and you go like, it was a hundred years, right? And so for hundreds of years at each event, like the prophet comes and he's prophesying, they send him multiple prophets to them and the people who are not listening are not only the kings who aren't listening, but it's also the priest. It's the, the Sadducees are like one of the, like they, they, they are primarily priests and they don't even believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in many of the basic tenets of Scripture. The thing, at least the Pharisees believed them. I mean, they they were kind of uptight and and, and missed some things because they it wasn't the way they thought it should be. But the Sadducees, like, they just sold themselves out to the philosophy of the world. They bought into Greek philosophy, like the writings of Philo and things like that. That's, That's where their head is at. But they're not listening. the religious people their leaders are not listening and then we've got these people like anna who just doesn't fit in any of the boxes and she's out there proclaiming and we've got here we got Simeon and he's an old man And he wanders up and he just begins to share about the things that God has been speaking to him. And nobody's listening to them, though, either. The religious elite doesn't make them right. It was all about the tenderness of which they approached the expectation that they, were, that they were determined to hear God and obey Him. Can I just tell you that I don't know of anything more significant and important, not because it will save you, Jesus saves you, but because I want you to know the fullness of life in Christ, the expectation your kingdom come, Your will be done on the earth. That that's translation in me, as it is in heaven. The expectation that that's the transformed life is that that I begin to love His ways, His will, and that then that becomes what comes out of me, what oozes out of me in the things I say and the things I do, and my life becomes steered by those things, and that I just give myself over to walking, pursuing him in the places it leads. And so Simeon shows up at the temple at the right time and gets to speak a word of blessing. He speaks what the Lord has given him for them. The prophetess Anna, she's been going to the temple and she's been proclaiming and doing what is outside of the norm of her, the expectation of her day and everything else, and just in her simple obedience she gets to declare to Mary That what she's heard is true. Powerful. See, Anna was speaking to all of Israel that Messiah had come, but she was also assuring Mary and Joseph what they heard from the angel was true and that they just needed to hold fast to God and trust Him. How about you? the things that God has been speaking over your heart, uh, uh, the things He's calling you into, the, especially when it comes to the issue of obedience and just trying to walk that out? And Could it be that maybe the reason you are here this morning, maybe the reason that you were part of this series all along is that one of the things that God wants to say to you is to trust me, trust me in these moments that seem hard, that seem difficult. And just simply follow me. You don't know what going to the temple every day may mean. It may just seem to you like you're just a religious exercise, right? And yet, here's the thing, is that in that process of them going day by day, that God used them in a really powerful way, and Scripture records it. You know, there's two ways to get in the Bible. One is simply to just be obedient. The other is to be really stupid. Which way do you want to get in? Unfortunately... More of them, it's because stupid than obedience. Hello? And so, here we go. I just hope that this, throughout this series, Advent for this year, that it's helping you to prepare and make room in your heart for Jesus, not just in your festivities this year, but to make room for the way of Jesus in your year to come as you think in going forward and walking from here that like you would have the sense that not that you're ending 23 but as you walk into the next year like there's this anticipation that you and I are still very much in the early part of the year of the calendar of the Christian calendar our, our the end of our calendar doesn't come until Easter and then it starts all over again so right now as you're walking out the balance of this year you're still Pretty well, you know, right kind of in the center of that calendar. Like, what does God want to do in you as we walk forward from this Advent in the celebration of Jesus having come? I also hope that it's been just a reminder to you that God uses ordinary people to advance the cause of the kingdom and the earth. And that His message of offering peace and goodwill is not simply just kindness, but it's for transformation. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit at work in us to be the people of God. And I would just simply say to you this morning, if you have any need for prayer, like don't hesitate to come get some prayer this morning. Let's stand together. So God, what are you saying to each of us today? I I know collectively that your word has told us uh, that we are a people who are called to be a, a, a light in the darkness, a city on a hill, that you've called us to be salt in a world of decay and tastelessness, that you've called us to not only preserve the world around us but to, 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 to add flavor to the world, to, to make the world a better place. That the transformation of the gospel not only saves us from our sins, but it is transforming the world around us. Uh, It's bringing hope and light and love and changing the kind of world that we live in. And so, Lord, we're asking, would you speak to us today about what you're doing in our lives, how we are manifesting those things? the conversations that you are going that we are going to be privy to the relationships people around us Lord how are you moving in the midst of our pain our hardships and difficulties in the midst of that what are you teaching us how are you shaping us so that we might reflect your glory even in the midst of those hardships and difficulties. That we might be the kind of people who are known not by our ability to walk with you when times are good and easy, but a people who are continually walking with you regardless of the circumstances, continually full of joy regardless of the circumstances. So Lord, we're asking that we would continue to conform to your image, that we would continue to be transformed by the power of your Spirit. And so Lord, what would you say to us today? I pray right now that your Spirit would move among us in this room and that you just stir hearts. Call us not only to a collective response to obey, but to the individual response sense of response of what are you doing in my life right now? Just more. More of your presence. Come Holy Spirit of God. Mm. Fall afresh on your people. I'm going to ask the prayer team members go ahead and come on up. And so, as the Lord is speaking to you, what might be your need for prayer this morning? Might it be to ask the Lord to strengthen you in a time of great trial and difficulty, of pain or hardship, of loss, whatever it might be? Do you need some encouragement this morning? Do you need to hear again afresh from the Lord so that you can stand, so that you can be strong? invite you for prayer for that. Maybe this day, it, maybe uh, uh, it's not something so huge. It's more like the events of the day. You've got things you've got to do, people you've got to encounter, maybe even some difficult people. Maybe I, I, you know, I've done family Thanksgiving too. So, um, and maybe, maybe this morning you're saying, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I, uh, Lord, I, I need your help. I don't think that's, there's anything too small out of the notice of God. And so I would say to you, if that's you this morning, I invite you to come get some prayer. Lord, help me to be salt and light in the midst of the situations I find myself today. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. And maybe you're here and uh, some other things in life. It has, it's not about a sense of obedience or whatever else. It's, maybe it's uh, sickness, uh, financial struggles or whatever else. That are weighing you down. And so I want to invite you, if you need some prayer this morning uh, for physical health, for financial health, or anything like that, uh, we've got prayer team members up here. Let me encourage you to come and get some prayer for those things as well. Otherwise, I hope that you are able to join us this evening. Look forward to uh, a time of celebration. And uh, I hope you have a great day. God bless. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you did, there's two things you could do for me. First, subscribe to our channel. That way the most recent podcast will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you, would you help us to continue to reach others by clicking on the link in the description to give now. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to The Empowered Word.